Today, Jehu and I, Johan, are at the table are at the semi round table with a special guest and also a returning guest, Rebecca, to have a conversation on singleness in the midst of your community or church. This is a little bit of a different vein of conversation you might be used to on the Burning Rooms podcast, but we feel it's something the Lord is highlighting in our praying community and perhaps many other praying communities as well. Chances are your community is not consisting of 100% of people that are married or have a significant other. It's quite possible that a large percentage of your praying community or church is single. There's a very important discussion and conversation to have here. So let's talk about it. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you and you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond. <laughs> where we have the conversations and share the stories to strengthen your corporate and your personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. And today we have a special guest on. But before we introduce our guest, Rebecca, which we said right off the hop, so I guess we kind of introduced you already. We were talking a little bit about uh, salmonella. <laughs> red onions. Stay away from red onions. Yeah, I heard they were really recently uh, recalled. Moving along, let's move into our discussion. Jehu, why don't you introduce our guest today and why we're having a conversation around singleness. So today we have Rebecca on. She's been on a few previous Burning Rooms episodes. And we're going to be talking about singleness, which is a topic that uh, we think is important and needs to be discussed in the House of Prayer context, but also just in the church at large. And so, Rebecca, as a single person, uh, we wanted to really hear some of your thoughts around this issue. And in particular, I wanted to start with thinking about the prayer room and singleness. How does that intersect? What do you find really moves your heart about the, the prayer message, the House of Prayer context uh, for you? I think that the prayer room has a lot of things that are really precious to the single person's heart. One of the first messages that a lot of people will hear when they come into the house of prayer context is Anna. And she was the one who she had been married for seven years and then she was widowed and she lived in the temple and she, whether she actually had like a room in the back or if she was just constantly there praying and fasting and she was waiting for Jesus to come. And she's like, this old woman and she's just been faithful all of her single life before the Lord. And then in her old age, she sees Mary and Joseph walk in with this little baby and she just explodes because the Lord has been so faithful and he's shown her his Messiah. And so that picture of Anna in the temple as a single person is really powerful. And I think it's even like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be her because she wasn't always single. She had been married and then she had suffered this loss in her, probably in like kind of the prime of her life as far as that context goes, where being married would be really important as far as your social standing. And she just gave herself to the Lord. So I think that when we think about single people in the house of prayer or outside of the house of prayer for that matter, First Corinthians 7, you can't get away from it. Uh, 
it talks about the married people and what they're concerned with and the unmarried people, what they're concerned with. And that as someone who's not married, I can give undivided devotion to the Lord. And the house of prayer is the perfect context to do that. There's lots of other places where you can do that as a single person. But if you find yourself in a house of prayer, I feel like you can just really throw yourself into loving the Lord without distraction. I also mentioned Mary of Bethany, who is another great picture. Let's talk about Anna a little bit first, though, because Anna lost her husband at a, like she was still fairly young. So it wouldn't have been abnormal for her to actually go find another husband and go live out her life. She obviously didn't have any children because she devoted herself to being in the temple. So she, I'm sure she's faced a stigma where they're saying, Anna, why don't you get remarried? Like, why are you wasting your life going to the temple every day? You're still young. You could still have children. Like, why are you not doing this? And Anna decides, no, I, I think I'm supposed to be in the temple. And then wisdom is justified, of course, in the end, like you said, mm-hmm. when she gets to meet the Messiah. I just love that picture. So when you first heard that story, did that stir your heart specifically? I don't know. I've been in the house of prayer now for, how old is Eli? How many years are we going? My son is 14 years old. 14. So, so I've been yes. in the house of prayer for two years less, 12 years. And so Obviously, I'm not 84. I'm not Anna, but I I feel like I've kind of lived through that minus the the marriage and the loss of a husband. And you're kind of bringing up some of the the things, the larger issues within the church that single people would face around the stigma, like the expectation that you know why aren't you married? And which all you married people out there and those who aren't, that's the worst question ever. It's just so like, there's no good answer to that question. You're, you're sunk. Like anyways. So it kind of brings to light that idea that to be married is better to be married is preferred that everybody's end goal is that they would get married, which isn't necessarily true and isn't necessarily right for everyone. Even if that is your heart's desire, maybe the Lord has a different call on your life because you can really give yourself differently to the prayer room to service unto the Lord, undivided devotion when you're single versus when you're married, because you don't have those other demands and concerns to attend to. Well, I think that's one area where the church has unfortunately kind of followed culture because for the last 50 or a hundred years, especially being married is seen as kind of the epitome of culture, that that's what you do. You get married, you have children, Maybe there's some of it's cultural, some of it's economic, you know, there's a child tax benefit because, well, we need to have children to keep society going. And so there's a vested interest in pushing that as a norm. Whereas biblically, there's all sorts of heroes of the faith who didn't get married and have children. As a church, we should be able to say with confidence, oh yeah, look at this person, look at that person, look at this individual. There's lots of people in the Bible who are not married that shouldn't be the de facto, but what you're saying, I think is entirely true is that we've made that, that is the standard. That is the assume that everyone is assumed to get married. You almost need a special call on your life to be single where you should need a special call in your life to do anything, get married or not get married. Either one requires a calling. It's not as though one is just the de facto expected. Absolutely. And in the last, I would say a couple of years, I've gotten into reading more Catholic style writings. One of my favorites, and you should definitely put this in the show notes, Fill These Hearts by Christopher West. He's a 
Catholic theologian, and he teaches on theology of the body, which was very much about marriage and singleness and the metaphor of Christ and the church and how our bodies have a message to declare the gospel. And reading about some of these Catholic saints and priests and like these amazing people that gave themselves in a way that we would at in this current age would be like, you're insane. Like, this is crazy. What are you doing? But I'm always provoked by the way that they accessed a part of the Christian faith and a walk with God that I don't know about. And it just makes me think like there is some real special gift for those who have given themselves wholeheartedly to serving the Lord. And it really provokes me to jealousy because I'm like, I want that. I want those mystical encounters where they're like basically living the song of songs and they're just encountering the Lord in this depth and it's, it's amazing. And so I think that there is like, if it's not possible for single people to engage the Lord in an equally meaningful way as married people on this side of eternity, then God is just kind of mean. It's like, really? Well, you didn't choose this lifestyle. So there's a ceiling on what you can experience. I don't think that's true. I think that there's way more that we haven't touched. I think what you're saying definitely makes a lot of sense because uh, we hear the messages about how Christ and the church, it's like this marriage relationship. And so then, you know, you're encouraged to say, oh, look at your marriage and then compare and just how a husband loves a wife and da, da, da. And so you make those comparisons, but then somehow saying, well, if you're single, you can't access that because you're not married. So then there's like, you're saying a ceiling on your revelation. But I think you you could almost go the other way from scripture that there are there are places in the heart of God, there are things that a married person might actually have a harder time accessing, whereas a single person might have an easier flow of the revelation. Totally. I actually wrote that down. That was one of the things that I was thinking about because I'd never, and I'd never really considered it because I remember people saying, and it would really, you know, just frustrate me when people would say that there are places that you can't go. You won't be as effective was usually the way that it was delivered. And I'm thinking that's, that just doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like our loving, kind, gracious father. But then also what you were saying about marriage being a metaphor, I think that equally so singleness is a metaphor. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. It's the union. It's Revelation 19 when the wedding supper of the lamb and finally He's going to come back and he's going to marry his bride. And it's like, you are, as a married couple, you're a very faint picture of that. You're pointing to that reality. In my life as a single person, I am pointing to the reality that right now that's not happening. And how do we respond? And so I think that there's a really important role that single people play to declare to the world, Jesus isn't here yet and it's not okay and I'm going to long and ache and we're waiting and anticipating his return. And what do we do with that? Do we sit around and mope and just be depressed about the fact that he's not there? Or do we give ourselves to loving him and calling for his return and to searching him out and getting to know him the best that we can on this side of eternity and looking to the wedding supper? I think that that is so important. And that's a lot of what that book that I had referenced before, what it talks about is that we all have a story to tell. It's different, but they're both 
so important. And I think that to your original point, Jehu, that there are places that I can go that you can't in, for lack of a better word. And there are places that you can go that I can't, and neither of those are good or bad. It's just different. Just means we need each other, right? Amen. That's why we have these conversations. Well, and that is a perfect segue. What do single people need in the praying community and in the church? We need community. I would say that would be the number one thing is that, you know, you go home, Johan, you have children, Jehu, you have a wife. Johan, you also have a wife, obviously. (laughs) You are not a widower. But um, to have those relationships that are so close naturally. And so I have roommates, but it's a different experience than than living with somebody who you're in covenant with and you've known for a super long time. You have a different kind of a relationship, a different level of intimacy with them. And so to have those places where you can connect and where you can belong and where even in practical ways, people that you know you can count on when when you need support or when you want to share a joy or a struggle, I think that that is a place where unfortunately the church hasn't always thought about the variety in their congregations or in the prayer, in the prayer room, the people who are there. And so it's so important that we are creating opportunities for people to connect and to find belonging and to find like-minded people, both married people and single people and young people and old people. Like we need diversity. We need one another. So what, what are some of the practical examples? Like what can that actually look like for you? Like, what does it look like for you to be in community with with a family involved, like your involvement, like what, what would that look like? Is it just having you over for dinner once a week sort of thing? Or is there something that comes to your head when you think of that? I think that's a great starting point for people who are kind of stuck. I don't know how to do this, or my community doesn't have naturally occurring places where I can engage in this already. Invite a single person over to have dinner or even to just do some random thing that you're doing picking your jalapenos, like whatever it is, building a fence, whatever you're doing, just invite them into your life. And I think for the larger context, and even for, even for people like we at Sanctuary, we have played around with having some community groups and some smaller groups who are doing things together, whether it's fasting regularly, or it's getting together for a meal or studying the Bible together, creating those smaller, those smaller connecting points with other people where you can do life together and run together. I think those are some, some more practical options. Just saying basically any connecting point that you can invite someone else into, like open that up a little bit more. Yeah. It's not that complicated that you have to have this whole small group structure and you need a curriculum. It's like, just invite somebody over to your house. It's good. Well, I think where a lot of the connections would happen with normal events, they tend to lean more towards a married context. So if you think about it, oh, we're going to have a wedding shower or we're going to have a baby shower. or We're going to like all those types of party events or all those types of things where you would find those natural joinings of things tend to be based on the family unit. And so like, I mean, 
you may have a graduation, which would be a party that you could have and people could be over for. But other than that, it's like in a single person's life, there might not be the same things. I mean, for Johan, you know, he's going to have children who then get to all graduate. So he has many more opportunities for for other people to come in and to interact and to celebrate where I think it's, again, I could be putting words in your mouth, but I think it's harder for a single person to find those types of celebration activities. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you can be creative and sometimes people are concerned about being patronizing. Like, oh, you, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of something super lame. Like, congratulations on finishing that home renovation project. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate you. Like, you wouldn't do that for a married person, but we can just get together. It doesn't have to be a party all the time. But when there are significant events, I think that it's important to be intentional about taking the time and the effort and the resources of your finances and your time and your energy to say you matter and you're important and we want to take this opportunity to celebrate you. Something that I heard that I've never actually seen done and I've never done myself, but I think would be super cool is from some woman, she would go to bridal showers and she would ask the Lord ahead of time, which single woman at this bridal shower can I bring a gift for? Like just to bless them. And I thought that's so intentional. And that's, I don't know, it's just maybe it doesn't connect with all the other male hearts around the table. But I think that's so sweet and thoughtful. And sometimes that's all it takes just to be thoughtful. And and the Lord knows best. Like ask the Holy Spirit how you can bless a single person in your community. And I know that he has the best ideas and he loves sharing them. That's probably the best advice so far yet. Asking Holy Spirit. Um, I was going to say something about being left at a singles table at a wedding. I don't know why. Sorry. Because <laughs> it happened. Just because so I made my tables like that? I didn't know any better. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got left at the singles table? No, no. I'm just. No, I, I made like a singles table at oh, my I don't, wedding. I don't, I wasn't referring to you specifically. Gotcha. I, I just yeah. know that happens at weddings. Well, and to that point, it's not just the singles table. It's the single people who get put at the kids table, which is like, I don't think it's intentional. It's kind of like a, a numbers game. We have five spots here and we have two spots here and we're just going to plug people in as it makes sense. But I think that another stigma or another incorrect belief that whether it's come from culture or come from the church is that married people are more full individuals than single people because we haven't been married that somehow we're like lacking this part or that there's, you know, jokes about, you know, they made a a full comedy about the 40 year old virgin as though that's like just hilarious and that somebody would give themselves to to purity and wouldn't be married by the time they're 40, that they're somehow somehow laughable. And I think that that just has to be a larger church shift around the way that we think about single people, that we're equal. And if you want to go in a real different direction, they're equal, like we're equally sexual people. When you think of sexual as being a person created in the image of God, bearing all of the same identity and this isn't that kind of a podcast. I just listen to these kind of podcasts. But another another really great author on the subject, her name is Julie Slattery. And uh, she has a book called Rethinking Sexuality. And this quote from her, she said, My sexuality is a holy metaphor of the gospel message. 
I was made for love, deep knowing, and for safety of a promise that can't be broken. And I think that speaks to every person. Like everyone is longing for love, deep knowing, and the safety of a promise that can't be broken. And that doesn't come in marriage. We know that 100%. There's so much divorce. There's so much pain. Even in the greatest marriage, you're not getting all of those needs met. And so to make that differentiation between single people and married people that, you know, somehow we see each other, we see these people differently. It's just, it's a false, false dichotomy. Is that the right way to use that? Yeah. You bet. Yeah. And to that point, marriage is a temporary state. You know, you didn't come, you weren't born married. God forbid something should happen to your spouses, but they won't be around forever. And when we look to eternity, we're not going to be married at that point either. And so we know that no, like no marriage on this earth is going to satisfy. And I think that's another really great, I feel like I'm just segueing into every little point that I'm thinking about. Well, it's true that every person that is married now is like, you're either going to die or you're going to be single at one point, unless for some reason you die with your spouse. So it's like singleness is going to hit the majority of us at some point, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's, that was your point. So this has been a really good conversation and I think there's still a lot more we need to talk about. So we will continue this conversation for the next episode, but we are out of time. Thank you, Rebecca, today. We will continue this conversation, but now it's time for... Questions for the Oval Table. So on today's Oval Table, we have a guest. We have Stuart, who will be on a future episode. We have Jehu, and we have Brian. So today's topic is slides. We all have them. Like like the dance move? The electric slide? Like the... Slip and slide. (laughs) Sliding into home plate? Should should prayer rooms have slides? Like a water park. No, not that kind of slide. Yes, rapid fire. You come down the slide and then you pray. (laughs) And and if if you're not done your prayer by the time you get to the bottom of the slide, out of here. Oh, we should institute that for rapid fire. That'd be so much better. Yeah. Forget fire tunnels, fire slides, or slide tunnels. Yeah. Anyway, that's not the kind of slide I'm talking about. We're talking about, you know, churches have these fancy slides, you know, where you read words off of lyrics, songs. Now, I've seen churches that have, like, video dynamic slides where it's all majestic. There's, like, clouds, and it's like you're flying through space. It's kind of trippy sometimes. It takes you to another place. But I'd like Holy Spirit to do that for me, just personally. But So our, what's our opinions on this? Do we like the flashy slides that just looks cool? Does it, does it enhance your atmosphere? Or do we like the plain old slides? In fact, maybe we want to go back to overheads where you had to slap them on like we did 14 years ago in our house of prayer. We actually had overheads for the first year. Which that made was, it tricky because the choruses were spontaneous and you had to write them out by hand. ridiculous for a house of prayer, but we're talking about slides. Do we have an opinion on what color the slide should be or if they should have dynamic backgrounds? Well, as the uh, slide projector manager person, I'm not sure what my title is, I actually am in charge slider. of this. As my sl- Thank you. That's a cool name. Do Let's you call you Slider? I do. I actually get to pick the slides 
And most of the time, for many years, I'll keep it the same background, but every once in a while, I'll change it. Sometimes people are really offended because we have this nice kind of blue gradient, very neutral slide. And then I changed it to a green one one time. People lost their mind. I was like, ah, changing it back, changing it back. These are probably the same people who always want to sit in the same seat every Sunday. Yeah. Not me. No. I, I actually prefer just the black background. I just want to see the words. I don't want to see anything else to distract me. I don't often, I mean, I'm usually on stage anyway, so I don't see it, but I don't know. I like the black and white words, black background, white words. That's fair. As someone who is uh, easily distracted, uh, not having a distracting background, what I'm trying to read the lyrics, very helpful. Very, very helpful. I also have uh, spent time at a church that literally just put the words onto the wall and like it was just the words and it was perfect. And I think the flashy background is just, I just, it's too much. Let's go back to hymnals. That's too far. Okay. I would say you probably wouldn't like heaven then because around the throne there's flashing lightning and there's <laughs> colors exploding and the four living creatures dancing around. So I, I prefer a background with like a lot of that activity. I want the four living creatures on there. The you emerald know, rainbow. Yeah, I want the 24. I don't even want to be able to see the words. Just, I just to want, clarify. I just want pictures. Just to clarify, you were saying looking at the words on the screen is the same as looking at the throne room? Uh, no, I'm, I'm saying it should it should replicate it because we're trying to replicate the, the throne room of heaven. Replication, yeah. With, with is that our, biblical? Heaven yes. on earth. It's Are, the Lord's do, prayer. Do I have a master's degree? That's what David tried to do. <laughs> <laughs> you're, right, you're right, David should try to do that. But he's, he's had, like, directions from the Lord. Do, do you have just directions did, from the Lord on that one, Brian? A, he just did an MDiv drop on you. Yeah, I just I just dropped the MDiv on you. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, pretty lightweight there. Drop in theology. So I don't think we came to any opinions, so we'll ask our listeners, what do you like? What kind of backgrounds do you want? Waterfalls? We're just curious. What should it be like? Maybe it's Forest different. scenes. Maybe it's different in a church than a prayer Mountains. room. I don't know. My daughter does overheads. The face of Jesus as the background. But what, what face of Jesus? What face? The one that comes up on Google Images? This is why the four oh. living creatures would be great. Which face? What are your opinions? We're curious. Maybe it's different in church than it is in a podcast. I don't know. Anyway, this has been another... for the oval table so this has been another episode of the burning rooms podcast thank you again for joining us remember to rate and review our show subscribe tell your friends it really encourages us and helps us if you want to get a hold of us feel free to visit our website at burningrooms.ca you can find all the various links to our facebook page or instagram and and you can connect with us that way we would love to hear from you you can also leave voice messages and it might even make it onto the air. We want to hear from you. And remember, we have a Patreon if you're interested in getting the video version kind of unedited, bring you to the room. You're going to get a behind the scenes look and there's other benefits to being a Patreon as well. And it supports our show and keeps us going. Also, remember to tune in next time for when we get to finish this conversation with Rebecca. So until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast.